everyone. Yat A. Welcome to episode 35 of Res Metal Podcast. On this episode, I talk with Randall Hosky of Rancid Savage Productions. And, um, you know, we talk about, you know, how he um, started the company and kind of like his background. Also some uh, like concerts and, you know, shows that he attended that kind of helped him spark the idea of starting Rancid Savage Productions. And, um, yeah, I decided to do this, uh, podcast in, in two parts. So part one will kind of focus on like Randall and Red Savage Productions, um, background. And then part two will focus on the upcoming Navajo Nation Metal Fest part two, Nakia. Um, I figured the, our talk about the Navajo Nation Metal Fest, you know, kind of, stands alone as its own, you know, entity and that we can talk about it on a separate episode, which I'll likely upload tomorrow for everyone to hear. And, um, yeah, you know, it's cool. Uh, Randall and I actually worked the same place in Fort Defiance. So it was cool to hear him, um, you know, outside of work and just kind of hear about his passion for putting on heavy music and, you know, just, you know, hearing all his stories, which were, you know, really, really cool and interesting. You know, I could tell Randall's just a young, you know, metalhead at heart. So really fun, really cool talk. And um, I'm just going to play a quick clip from one of the bands that he worked with early on called the Horny Toads and the the song's called Little Indian. So I'll play a quick clip and then play the uh, talk that I had with him. And so, um, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys and uh, I'll be sure to upload the part two talk uh, tomorrow. So check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for letting me talk with you. I've been just doing these interviews for fun. I actually, I started doing them, um, when I was living in Phoenix and, um, yeah, I just been doing this just for fun. I think, um, yeah, it's been about um, two and a half years now. Nice. And then I moved here. Yeah. I moved here and then it's just like, it's like not a lot to do here. So I just started doing these more. There is a lot. You just got to get out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess the pan- pandemic, you couldn't really get out of there for a while. <laughs> yeah. I noticed there's a lot of hiking trails around here, so it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is. It's, you said there's really nothing else to do but hike. Run, hike, and go to Gallup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, when I was living in 
Phoenix, I, I feel like I would just go to concerts like every night just because there was, this was pre before the pandemic, but like, yeah, they're just like, like, like almost every night I would just go to them. But now coming here is kind of, kind of a different, I guess it's moving here during the pandemic was, was a culture shock, I guess. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. What kind of music are you primarily into metal? Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly metal shows I would go to, um, yeah, mostly that. Nice. Who's your favorite band? Um, probably. Let's see. I would probably say Gojira's probably one, and then probably like Metallica and Black Sabbath. Nice. We're. Uh, I'm headed to uh, New Orleans next week for Gojira. Wow. And go on. Watch them out there. Um, my friends from uh, Alien Weaponry set us up with some passes. So <clears throat> the main reason I'm going to try to get to talk to Gojira and try to talk him into coming out this way. Yeah, I'm sure it'd be right up okay. their alley to play on a reservation. Yeah, yeah, yep. So that that's that's how I usually get in there. I usually uh, know people that kind of hook me up and help me get here and there. Awesome. It was just a matter of setting me off and me talking my way in there and getting fired up to come out here. Nice. Um, I guess for the people listening, um, like kind of what's kind of like your background and kind of like how did you get involved in the like Rancid Savage promotion productions? Um, I The way I started, I seen them. I, I used to go to a lot of shows. I still do, but I, I would go to a lot of shows ever since high school. My first show just blew my mind, and that was uh, Molly Crew. Um, and that just blew my mind, just seeing them and uh, the show they put on. <clears throat> so after that, I started going to shows left and right as much as I could. Um, I was lucky to have a, a, a very understanding mother single parent that would allow me to go um, to Albuquerque with a lot of friends or Phoenix, even though I was underage and whatnot. Um, she gave me enough trust and leeway. So I was always going to concerts. Um, went to um, seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers when they were a club band. Uh, Guns N' Roses when they were just starting. Um, I remember some friends of mine snuck me into a bar. They knew the bouncer and they took me into a bar to see this band from LA. It's supposed to be like the best new band and all this stuff. And I just remember that the singer did a like a jump in the air trying to do a kick and everything and his head went through the the roof. It was one of those like waffle ceilings. Mm-hmm. Those uh, tile ceilings. He's, he went right through it. And they all came down and had to put the show on hold for a while while they cleaned up the stage and whatnot. But I, about maybe 15, 15, 20 years ago, I was going through a bunch of my old memorabilia stuff and I found that flyer for that show and I was like, oh, wow, this is it. Here was Poison. Um, at the time, I didn't really know them. It was just because my friends were like, hey, we can get you in the bar, let's go. 
wasn't really into it, but I just remember him going through the ceiling, and turns out it was Poison, Brent Michaels, and those guys. Wow. Uh, Megadeth, we saw them. My brother took me to their show for Peace Cells tour. They were, they were just warming. They just starting. The album didn't come out yet. Um, they were playing at a, a little bar in Phoenix. used to be called Rockers. Um, and we were just sitting there. They just let us in. We sat at the front table. It was a bar setting with just a little dance floor in the front and the band. And I always remember just watching um, Mustaine, Chris Poland, Dave Elson, and Garth Danielson just right there, just tinkering around, playing around with their instruments, playing a few of the songs, mechanics and stuff like that. And then Dave Mustaine would just walk right by us and just like, hey, what's up? And all this stuff, walk by us, get his drinks at the bar and go walking right by. Like that, just for a good hour, we're just doing that. And we had to go. We couldn't stay for the whole show, so we had to go early. Stuff like that. Yeah. And I remember a lot of shows, going to a lot of uh, stuff when I was younger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the one, of the, one of my shows that stand out I went to was... Um, Slayer in a club in um, Phoenix. That was a fucking killer show. I mean, that's another good one. Yeah, was another it the last one that they did uh, a couple years ago? No, no, this is years ago. Um, it was at, uh, what the heck was it called? Um, Sunwest Studios. It's called Sunwest Studios in Phoenix. Um, more like on the Glendale side. Oh, okay. It was an actual. Uh, it was an actual disco club because the floor was one of those light up from like Saturday Night Live. You know those Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. You know those those light up disco floors. It was yeah. like that, and that's where the mosh pit and everything was. Um, I think it was South of Heaven or Rain and Blood. I think it was. I was young. My brother took me to that one. But, yeah, that was a memorable show. One of the best shows. So, yeah, there's a lot. Um, a good friend of mine from here that used to take me to a lot of the shows when I was younger. Older girl. She was, like, maybe eight, nine years older. But I knew her younger sister and her friends who were a few years older than me, but... They used to take me to shows because I could drive them back because they they would get wasted. <laughs> and I didn't drink or anything at the time, so I, I would be the driver home. So I got to know them, and this lady moved down to Phoenix, and she was a part of the metal scene down there. She was a huge fan of Flotsam and Jetsam when they first started. And it turns out that she started dating uh, Jason Newstead, and she brought him up here a couple of times. Oh, nice. And when he got the call for um, Metallica, she she would tell us the stories about it. And I was just like, wow, that kid from Flotsam and Jetsam is fucking going to be in Metallica. And they had a big old party in Phoenix. And my brother was invited because I, I was still here. My brother was down in college and he got invited to that show or that party and 
he said all the guys from Metallica were there and hanging out. So I was like, you, you lucky bastard. <laughs> and I've always wanted to play music, but I was I tried, never good at it, didn't, never got the hang of it. So continued to go in concerts and everything, and then one time some friends of mine, some friends I met, these Kiowa Navajo guys, they, used, they were in a band called the Horny Toads, um, based out of Denahuto. Got to know them from a, went to a powwow in Shiprock. A friend of mine took me over there and he knew them. So we got to hang out. They said, hey, come, come follow us to um, Farmington tonight. We have a show out there. So I was like, hell yeah, let's go. So we went out there. There was a small little place called, um, I think it was called the Black Brew in Flagstaff. There was a lot of local bands like um, EDG, Dying Tribe, a band called Body Part Rain from, uh, I believe, Tucson or Cells down that way. And that show just blew me away. The kids were going crazy in there and everything. And I was just looking at the whole setup and everything, the way it was going. I was like, wow, I think I could do this if I really thought about it. So after the show, I just talked to all the bands and asked them if they'd be willing to come out to Windrock if I was to put on a show or figure it out and stuff like that. And they were all agreed on it. So down the road, a few months later, um, see, October 1st was the fair. So probably in November. Yeah, it was near Thanksgiving. I finally got it all together and, that was my first, no, 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 I'm sorry. Let me back that up. My first show was up in the mountains, uh, Halloween show with the Horny Toads. We did a Halloween show in the snow. There was like about five inches of snow in the ground. Wow. Um, but we built a big old bonfire because it was a perfect weather all week. Um, and we built it as a, a party, um, $5.00 pay $5, drink all you want, eat all you want, band playing. <clears throat> Here, it started snowing that, that morning, and it just wouldn't stop, and we're like, should we just cancel it? And I was, we kept talking about it all day, and finally we just were like, let's just do it. It's, it's, people are already talking about it. People want to come up. If they come, they come. If not, then ooh, what do we got to lose? So. We went up to the mountains where it was supposed to be. I had a map on the flyer, everything. And we started this big old bonfire. The snow stopped in the evening, but there was still a lot on the ground. And the horny toads got all their stuff situated. And um, when it got dark, the rides started coming. Ride after ride after ride. And pretty soon there was a whole bunch of people there. I was surprised. I was like, wow, and I made money. I actually made money on it. After the keg was taken care of and we fed them hot dogs and chips and stuff like that. We had waters and whatnot, but the majority of them drink the beer, the keg. <laughs> so, so we had a big old party and um, the guys from Horny Toads just recently sent me, sent me some video from that night. I didn't know they still had it. I guess it, they got digitized and sent me some copies of it and I was like, holy shit. Holy hell, I remember these days. Nice. 
And that was the first time I ever put on a show. Um, actually made some money. So the next one, which was already planned, this one was just kind of put together just to kind of, um, um, I guess just to try it and get a feel for it and figure out what needs to be done before the the, the real big show in November. So that one was called The Return of Metal, and that one was at uh, Nakai Hall in Windrock. And that one as well did a really good turnout. A lot of people came out. And we did really good. So from there, um, and all this was back in 2000. Okay. Um, so then... How was how the, uh, the metal scene back then? Was it... Uh... Was it that, kind of it was the same or here. a little bigger I mean, back then? It, it was still here, you know. I mean, you you see, you would see it on, um, out in the world, like um, I guess how big hip hop got and um, rap, and then you would see, um, I guess, uh, MTV and stuff like that. Would they would be playing a lot? The radio would be playing a lot of the. Um, pop music, everything, uh, <clears throat> no metal, no nothing, but the the metal scene here was alive. There was metal heads everywhere. You, you knew them, you would see them. So I think we um, kind of kept it going here. And <clears throat> so that's why when I did the first two shows and they, they did well, I was like, well, I guess there is a good scene here. And, Back then, there was just a handful of bands that I knew of. So down the road, a few months down the road, June of the following year, um, I decided to, a lot of friends start backing me up, start coming over, start helping, saying, hey, we can do this, we can help you with this, we can do this, we can do that. So it became a big old team effort. Um, and we decided we were going to do the Window Rock Fest, which was in June of '01, and that was a two-day festival with uh, 34 bands over two days: uh, metal, rock, punk, um, <clears throat> metal, rock, punk. Nice. Yeah, so the, um, alternative. Anything except uh, country. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any and everything except country. Um, I was dead set against country at the time. I still am, I guess. <laughs> so that 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 Windrock Fest was billed as two days of um, music with a boxing tournament. A um, a uh, skate competition, a BMX competition, a rave, um, and Clutch headlined that one for me. Um, wow. I got to know Clutch when they used to play a lot of the shows um, in Phoenix and in um, Albuquerque. I got to know them real well. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So that that was a big thing, and we um, 
that one, like I said, had all types of music. So that one had bands from all over. With that <clears throat> is where I found out there was a huge scene on the res, um, bigger than I thought there was. Being able to pull um, 32 bands, 34 bands. I can't remember. I have it on a flyer somewhere in all my stuff. Um, so after that, um, we were able to do a lot of shows at the Windrock Cinema. At the time, it closed down. Um, it was closed down. There was a pipe break on the side of the building, and it broke into the into the auditorium area and flooded it with a lot of dirt. So all the way down the steps to the very bottom, that was just caked with dirt, layers and layers of dirt. So I got with management, told them, hey, if we can clean it out, can we use it as a venue? And they were all for it. They were like, all right, if you guys can do it, you guys can start using it. So we spent a good month cleaning that place. Me and all my friends, after work, we would all go over there spend a few hours cleaning it out, shoveling all that dirt out, got it back to its former glory, and then we started doing shows there. A lot of uh, punk festivals, metal festivals. Um, <clears throat> so we, we were doing that for a good year, maybe two years, and then... They closed it down. They, they was, I guess, wanted to use it back for a theater, so they took it back. And then we started doing shows at wherever we could find um, Gal Armory, um, the Windrock Navajo Education Center, um, the fairgrounds, chapter houses, parking lots. <laughs> nice. Anything, anything and anywhere. Um, that's how we started. Um, and the name comes from, uh, one of my cousins one year called me Rancid because my name Randall. So his, his, his nickname was Rancid. And then Savage is, um, basically <clears throat> the outside world still considers Native American savages. So it's like, well, let's just throw it in their face and we'll go with calling ourselves savages, you know? So it went Rancid Savage and then Productions. That's where the name came from. Nice. Were a lot of those early shows mostly like in the Window Rock area or did you start to go out to like the areas around yeah, here? Yeah, they were all mainly Windrock um, and Gallup. Those are the only places we really did. We did a few in Chinle, um, but that wasn't like my area. Um, I couldn't really do a lot of promotion in the area. I relied on the bands that I that were from that area that we were trying to um, help promote them, and I left it up to them to do a lot of promotions in the Chimney area. I also did shows in Shiprock, same thing. A lot wanted the bands, but <clears throat> I can't blame them if because um, I don't know if it was they didn't do enough or the the, the the scene just wasn't as good as here. But those, those shows just weren't as good as they were on this side. So I stopped trying to go out there, trying to take it out there. Um, 
and just kind of started um, focusing more on this this area. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't realize. I, I you'd think that like places like Shiprock and uh, Tuba City, they have big. They're close to like the border. Um, those places would have a big turnout. Um, yeah, even here, even here, um, like we get big names here, like POD or Superjoint, um, Wayne Static, stuff like that. Um, you would think people would be coming from Gallup, you know, um, but <clears throat> my 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 observation is it's all all Navajos, and when you bring it up with uh, non-Navajos or other people from other tribes, um, they're always like, "Oh, we we just don't we don't like going on to Navajo land and." Um, there's a negative about it, you know, there's, I don't want to say they're scared. Um, they're just uneasy, I guess, on coming onto Navajo land for a show. Oh yeah. I can see that. Um, yeah. But, and that's from the locals, like the border town, local, local band, local, local people and like Zuni area. Um, that's what I've heard. But then on the flip, side of that I have people um, from Albuquerque from Tucson from Phoenix coming to shows here because um, they like it they like the, the whole atmosphere of the shows that we have here um, yeah so yeah it, it's, it's, it's crazy okay um, going back to when you first started getting your I guess cutting your teeth for putting on shows what were some of the most memorable ones like back then and uh, like, like, you know, around when you first started? Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, um, super joint ritual. That was, um, that was one of my, my favorite all time favorite shows. Just the intensity of it. Just, it was just wild. That, that was one of the wildest shows I've ever had. That was at the El Moro Theater. Um, <clears throat> we had to make a barricade. So <clears throat> my friend, he's a welder. We got him all the materials. He welded them. We put supply boards. We put that whole um, barricade system in there. And then we drilled out, took out 10 rows of the, the seating. So we had like half the floor was enough for people to stand. And we start packing them in, packing them in, packing them in. And I believe we got over 700 people in there. Whoa. And that place just went nuts. Once Phil and Sam know and stuff, once we opened the curtains, that place just went crazy. And we were freaking out. And, um, <clears throat> and like I said, that was our first barricade we had to use in we noticed that the barricade where the foot was in a couple of places went through the floor because of all the people pushing on it, went through the floor. So once it went through the floor, it started kind of um, lost its um, ability to brace. So it started swaying left to right 
that whole barricade, that whole section just kept swinging left to right. And then while I was doing that, it started caving in the rest of the parts of the floor where the, the feet were. So I was like, ah, oh, shoot, what do we do, what do we do? And so I, I just jumped out in the crowd and, and just started looking for the biggest guys I could find and just asked them, you guys want to help? You want to help? And everybody I asked was all for it. <clears throat> so they all lined up against the stage and they all put their feet in their hands and just held that barricade there for the whole show. Um, and my cousin recorded it from up in the top in the, um, the, the projector booth area. So he filmed it really good. He has a good recording. Um, I don't know where mine went, but he still has one. And in that, you can see see it. You can see the see how crazy it was and how it just progressed and got crazier and crazier. And kids were just going nuts. No one got hurt. Everybody was safe. We saved the day. Everybody saved the day by holding that barricade up. Um, and Super Joint Ritual just put on a killer show. Nice. That was one of my favorite shows. Um, Wayne Static, great, great show. Both, I put two shows on with him. He did great shows. Yeah, um, heck yeah. I, I did um, Exodus when they first came back. Oh, wow. Temple of the Dead tour. I took them over to Gallup and then I took them to Hopi. We did a show out in Hopi with them. Um, uh, what what about, uh, I don't know, were you um, part of the the um, production that did Danzig back in Tuba City? No, no, oh, no. Okay. That wasn't, that, that's, a, that's notorious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's notorious. I was going to say, that's a, part, yeah. of, part of history. And the guy that did, or the, the production that did it uh, was under a different name, and then they went under Red Sun Production, um, basically same initials as mine, RSP. So once that happened, <clears throat> all these booking agents would not work with me because of the RSP. And they started saying that Francis have a production. It was like, no, no, no. So I had to fight there for a few years trying to change that um, idea that we were one in the same. Uh, finally, it did. Finally, I was able to convince everybody, all the booking agents, because there's a lot of agencies out there. Um, but that RSP got a bad name out there because of what happened. And I don't I don't see why. I mean, yeah, it wasn't their fault. Between two bad members. Yeah, it was between two band members. You can't stop them from hanging out and something happens like that, you know? Um, but it, it's what it is, and they got a bad name, and it kind of trickled down to us because of the Navajo Nation and stuff. But Yeah. Um, so but around yeah, that time, yeah. um, I noticed that's kind of like when, like, Max Cavalier and Soulfly started coming around to, like, the Navajo Reservation. Um, when, uh, like, how did how did you get involved with working with Max Cavalera? Um, we had a sour beginning. It's all water under the bridge now. What happened? Um, you can ask some other people down the road. 
Okay. <clears throat> but I um, got to see them in Farmington one year, and I ran into Gloria and just started talking to her and told her, I said, hey, you know what? I want to put everything behind us. And the fans, the kids really want to see you guys out in Winderock. Can we work on something and try to get you guys out there? So she said, yeah, let's do it. So we started working on it. And ever since then, I was able to get them whenever they wanted to. And we we have a good relationship now. Yeah, they- Enough that I was, I was able to um, text Gloria and ask her, say, hey, can um go ahead and die, come out and play this festival for us. Um, and it took a while, it took a couple of months for her to finally get everything squared away and um, all the band members and people involved to agree. And that just happened just the other day, finally. Nice. We were yeah. able to put that all together. I think it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's amazing. I, uh, I saw them like last weekend when they played in Tempe. That was the whole reason I went. Oh yeah, that was the whole, the only reason I went to go. She's, I've seen Soulfly like multiple times, but to see yeah. go go ahead and die's first performance is is pretty badass. How was they? How, how were they? Uh, pretty pretty sick. Um, they played their whole album. Like um, I think like maybe. The third or fourth song, I realized they're they're playing like all the songs like from beginning to end from from their oh, nice. album that just came nice. out. But you know, the album's pretty short; it's like thirty minutes or something like that. But yeah, they were able to do the whole album. Um, nice. They had a bass player. I'm not sure who that was, but um, yeah, it was Max, his son, and the drummer. Um, and then hmm. the yeah, those three that were on the album, but then the bass player. I'm not sure who that was, but. I uh, thought I thought Igor was playing bass. I thought that's what it said on the the uh, their their site. Yeah, Igor know. Junior's uh, playing guitar and he does most of the singing. Um, but yeah, some guy I don't know. He's I don't I don't he's not in any of the other bands that were playing that night. Um, but overall, it was it was pretty badass. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, I, I was a big fan of that when that first got announced earlier earlier this year when when they said that Max Cavalera had a new like death metal band. Yeah, yeah. I mean when they talked about it and then I heard it, I was like, wow, that's a fucking killer band. Yeah. And then as I was um trying to get um some other bands to play because Alien Weaponry already had them kind of hooked since uh, April, May. We've been talking about it, talking about it, um, just working with management, booking, and everything to try to get us that weekend date. Um, and we were finally able to do it. And after we kind of squared that off in August, then that's when I started asking around, find trying to find bands to play. And it took me a while, but I was lucky. I, I know, know the. Um, agent for Soulfly and he kind of threw that name out there and I was like oh shoot I totally forgot about these guys yeah so it's, then, it's it's pretty cool I mean it's pretty rare too because you know Soulfly just finished a tour and played the whole US but Go Ahead and Die is only yeah. done one live appearance yeah so I, then I reached out to Gloria right away 
pulled her up on my phone and texted her and everything. And they were just pulling into New York at the time. So that's how that started. And I'm glad we got them. Nice. I'm really happy. That just kind of rounds out that whole, the whole festival right there. And this is the solid lineup now that we needed. Yeah, for sure. I'm and, just uh, kind of, um, I'm just kind of, um, it's, it's, it's kind of sad that we're not able to go full capacity on the venue. We're only allowed to do 50% right now. Oh, wow. Um, and it, and it's understandable because of the pandemic and everything, but I, I'm being real strict on that as far as only vaccinated people are going to be coming in. They have to have their cards, uh, 12 years and older only. Cause usually I'll have all eight shows, but this one, since the younger kids can't get vaccinated, they can't come in. Um, yeah, it's going to be strict. Um, and I've already heard some blowback from people getting mad about it, but it's it's not about them. It's about the overall community, uh, especially, especially the metal community. We don't need to see any of them leave because of a virus. Yeah, especially the, like, for alien weaponry, they're like in the middle of a tour. You got to keep them safe. Well, that, that one, yeah, we're going to lock down the bat too. It's going to be really different than any other shows we've ever done. Um, in fact, we're hiring a lot more security just to keep everything on lockdown more. Yeah. It's just, it's just something we got to do because it's, I feel the kids need it. They need that release. They need, because there's some of us that are able to go to the cities for shows, um, but there's not a lot that are able to do that financially. So that's why I want to do that here. Just get this one done for them. Let them try to release some of that tension, anxiety, and everything that balled up from COVID, the pandemic. And that's the majority. That that's the main reason I started this company too was to bring music to the kids, to the communities, because I know how hard it was when we were younger. My mom, being a single mom, struggled to get us money so we could go to the shows. And mind you, the the concert tickets weren't that expensive then. They were like fifteen, twenty bucks for the big bands. But so that's that's why I wanted to do that too. Started this company so I could start bringing bands to the people where they don't have to travel. Because you actually put uh, put that into a monetary context. That's that's a lot of money, gas money, food money, concert money, everything. You know. Oh yeah. It it adds up. All right. Yeah, that was my talk with uh, Randall Hosky of Rancid Savage Productions. That's the first part. And uh, the second part is going to focus more on the upcoming Navajo Nation Metal Fest, Nake Part 2. So be sure to check it out. I'm going to upload that uh, coming up tomorrow. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and play the rest of that song I played in the beginning, uh, Horny Toads, called Little Indians. So check it out.